Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Training Chats with uh, Maladin in Israel. We're here our, on our, uh, what is it, fifth, yep. uh, fifth podcast today. Maladin, how are you? All good. Uh, I wish the weather is a bit better here in Serbia. It's uh, raining for last, you know, it's raining since I took my motorcycle off the of the motorcycle shop. And I think I'm a, a bad jinx in this country, man. It's, people are swearing at me because <laughs> maybe I caused the rain. So, Well, let me tell you, here it's the exact opposite. I wish the weather would change because it's boiling hot and it's, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the weather here is just horrible and we sweat here nonstop and I can't wait for it to cool down and possibly rain so maybe we can exchange for yeah, a while. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind, man, but... To be to to be honest, also I don't I can't stand high heats like I struggle. So my ideal heat is maybe around twenty five degrees Celsius. You know, above that I'm already bitching. Yeah. All right, man. Nobody's here to listen to us talking about weather. Let's get to the nitty gritty. And today we're going to talk about individualization of training. Is that right? Yep, exactly. So we're going to continue uh, discussion. Uh, um, on the video I made, uh, and that's going to be available. So if you haven't seen that one, I I kindly urge you to check that one first and then uh, listen to this podcast. But anyway, if you haven't, you know, no, no big deal. So we're going to continue talking about the topics covered in that video. And some of the topics weren't really clear. Uh, and I must admit that I had, um, I would say, a, a, a mental a mental, I won't say break, but mental issue, not issue in that way, but uh, um, I didn't really clarify. A hurdle. I, yeah, a hurdle. Yes, that's the right <laughs> word. Uh, so I had a mental hurdle in clarifying the the image of uh, equality and equity and how that is applied to individualization and especially the, the picture where we had uh, legs cut off uh, in real life. So the idea was that um, I would say that the the problem is that uh, we, we individual, individualize based on a certain metrics. And there might be multiple uh, metrics that we need to individualize on. In this case, creating an equal playing field, sort of, which, which we're going to cover in, 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 in this chat. Uh, so the problem is that there's so many of them, and sometimes we, we ended up cutting the, the good performance, sort of. So something that happens currently with the left wings or social justice warriors trying to equalize everything and sometimes you know by trying to equalize based on a what metric or what group you you might end up you know killing the good performance sort of so that that was my message that i wanted to convey it's pretty much just make sure that you are aware of uh of of the dangers of creating equal playing field for everyone so um, I think it's better to use an example. So what the example you used in the in the video is just uh, use the same percentage of uh, a one RM across the entire team. For example, if you got twenty people and everybody knows that a one RM, so you ask everybody to do eighty percent of their one RM for whatever amount of repetitions. So that's the example you use. I think that would help to convey the idea. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the the problem. The problem expands once you start using different exercises. So, for example, if you test a one arm in a bench press, then you can say, uh, you know, one one way to individualize is to uh, is to create again equal playing field in a way that everybody is working on a same or similar uh, individual potential, or or in this case, the percentage of excuse me, percent of uh, one arm. So, 
rather than everybody lifting, you know, 100 kilos, we say everybody's lifting 70% of or 75% of their uh, individual 1RM. Again, there's a lot of assumptions because we're going to do uh, multiple reps and, you know, maybe some people can do more reps at 75%, some people can do less and some people can... Uh, can do more volume, some people can do less volume and so forth. And things be- become less less clear as soon as we start using different exercises. So for example, uh, let's assume someone use, uh, for example, dumbbell bench press. So what's the 1RM in a dumbbell bench press? So maybe someone can um, use, let's say, 60% of uh, or 33% on each hand. So if, you're, uh, if your 1RM is 100 kilos, that means you can probably use 35 um, kilos dumbbells in each arm as your one RM in a dumbbell bench press. So then you, you make extra assumptions and you introduce more uncertainty in the, in the prescription. Um, and maybe someone is more, uh, I would say more able to use a dumbbell so you can maybe push it up to 40% and someone is less able so you can maybe use 30%. You know, it's, it's tricky. So once we start, once we try start creating a equal playing field, you know everybody's using you know same percent of one RM in using a bench press, then we might um, create a false, I would say, false safe environment if that makes sense. So we just need to keep in mind that things are uh, not really clear cut, and there are a lot of uncertainties still involved, especially when we introduce um, different exercises, and then when we proceed with the training in, in terms of, you know, number of reps, what's the optimal volume, you know, what's the frequency and so forth. So just because you use, uh, just because you think you individualize by using, uh, in this case, relative loads, uh, you don't answer the more important questions such as, you know, is that the quality you're after? Is, you know, what's the, op- what's the, I wouldn't say optimal because we don't know what's the optimal. Uh, what What's the, the, satisfying volume, what is satisfying frequency and so forth for a given individual. So, you know, as covered in the video, uh, the individualization is not that clear cut. And, you know, I I don't want to take the microphone completely. So I'll let you, I'll let you talk more because I want to hear your viewpoint about the uh, individualization in training, especially like skill training, individualization, uh, your planning, how do you suit the individual needs? First of all, how do you figure out the individual needs? It's, you know, people say Uh, you need to, you need to, you know, suit the individual to the training. But the question is like, how do you know you are doing it? And how do you know, how do you, how do you realize what what are the individual needs? You know, your microphone is your, yours. First though, as as you were speaking, I wonder to myself, um, and I did just to be clear, I watch your video and I know what you're talking about, but all of a sudden I had a thought that occurred to me is uh, whether what you're describing is more just a form to, to standardize, but is it necessarily a question of individualization? I'm not sure. It's just a thought that occurred to me as, as, as you're speaking, uh, because if we match the intensity, so to speak, by matching relative load using percent, so essentially we're hoping that everybody will get the same adaptation or the same type of intensity but we can't guarantee that yeah exactly so that's yeah so essentially it's a way just to standardize across a group or a gro- across a, um, a team perhaps but yeah will, will that lead to optimal adaptation within an individual 
I don't know. I have no idea. I feel at this stage of my life, I feel very comfortable to always just admit that I have no idea that we're shooting in the dark and so on and so forth. Um, I do know that I think the group uh, in England, uh, fellows like James Steele, have proposed that one one strategy to standardize is just going to failure. And at least from a scientific point of view, it does make sense to me because if you want to have people perform three sets of 10 against 70% of their one RM, for example, well, for one person, as you illustrated, that might be easy because you can do 20 repetitions at that load and somebody else can only do eight. So while they have all done the same amount of volume and against the same uh, external load or relative external load, the effort that they've uh, achieved is, is very different. Or well, one of them is exhausted, the other one just can do 50% more. But if you had them go to failure, well, the number of repetitions is going to be dissimilar, but you can at least uh, tick the box that they've all, are all, they've all reached the same level of effort. It's just something to think about, and it doesn't have anything to do with uh, individualization, I suppose, but it's just a point that I thought about. But there's a now, there's a big excuse me to to interrupt. Yeah. But there's a big assumption that uh, that's lurking. Uh, it's that it's that uh, if they did the same level of effort or exhaustion, then then they're it it assumes that that equalizes or standardizes you know creates the equal playing field in a quotation mark. But that's a, that yeah that's a big assumptions. So for example, some some athletes might need to do that. Some might not need to, or, or this type of training will cause uh, more, I would say, fatigue issues than with other athletes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. My example, the only reason why I brought this up is just from a scientific point of view when you try to match different groups. I mean, this is uh, what I think a lot about. How do you standardize? How do you match two groups across? So you can try to match them for volume, for repetitions. And one other strategy that you can try to do is just match them for effort and, and do that by going to, uh, to failure. But again, you can ask whether that's something that people need. And in fact, the research does not even support that it's necessarily beneficial. So that was just, uh, I segued from the original topic and perhaps I should apologize for that. No, I think but, it's a great addition. And I, th- I think it's, it, it's really well... Um, align with the idea of individualization because with the with the research you want to make sure that the the, the groups are equalized or yeah. they're and doing you can never do that yeah the thing is in resistance training i keep reading the papers and i salute and, and everyone who's doing a longitudinal between subject designs that one group is doing one intervention one training uh training a whatever that may be versus the other one uh i think these type of studies are so insightful but uh uh, everybody will, will eventually uh, find themselves with the dilemma of how exactly do I match the groups? And it's just so extremely difficult because you try to match one thing, you're uh, letting something else loose. And by definition, when you tight some, I mean, and then there's effort and subjective effort and all these things. So it's just so extremely difficult to try to fully match for that and and extract what is quote unquote better than the other or leads to diff- uh, better adaptations, whatever they may be. Uh, this is just something that I routinely think about and I read about. And these days I do tend to agree that standardizing by going to failure is, um, well, put it this way, the least worse approach perhaps. Uh, I'm, but I'm not sure. It's just the ongoing thoughts that I have on this topic. Yeah, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm currently reading the book called uh, The Book of Why by uh, Judea Pearl. So he actually 
talks about these issues of, of controlling for the or deconfounding so we can make causal claims you know you know treatment a causes b but uh you know the, the, it might be different uh individual confounders within the protocol so you know yeah. if you if you do 75 for five that might be maybe two reps in reserve for athlete a and might be you know five reps in reserve for athlete right. b so uh, how and this to, is how to hard control to control that. that. Yeah. I don't think you even can. This is uh, actually a very good uh, construct to throw in here, the reps in reserve as a confounder, and that just throws everything off, right? Because if everything else is controlled for, at least externally, load, number of repetitions, duration of repetition, and all these things, but if the repetitions left in the tank are dissimilar between the groups, then th this is such a humongous confounder. Yeah, but uh, but let's uh, let's talk about individualization a little bit now that we've segued. Uh, this is a topic that I personally love because I, I mean, from us as a coach, mainly coming from the combat sports, I only used to work usually one on ones or small groups. So, other than the group sessions, uh, I always had the the good fortune uh, that, that I just could individualize the training because I used to work one-on-one, -on -one, which is what I would do. Um, so I never had the same problems that you commonly encounter, which is working with a team. So again, I don't know how that would work out. I think you only have to aim for an average and just hope for the best. Uh, but what I would used to do, and again, it's just I would just go off a, a lot on my gut, to be honest. I mean, I'd have a lot of... Uh, a lot of ideas of what I want to do. I try to have a lot of background knowledge in terms of uh, just background reading, understanding the sport, and then understanding the athlete and their needs and what the coaches, and just put all that together and just throw it in a blender and see what comes out. And I love the term iterate and just come up with a plan. I know you talk a lot about that with the minimal viable plan. I mean, I think I owe... Um, I owe knowing this concept to you. You're the one who um, introduced me to it, and it, it just almost changed my life. It just simple, just took what was going in my head and simplified it and gave it a, an actual term. So what I just come up with with a, a, a plan, a very minimal one, a bare, uh, just the bare essentials, with what I think might work with a given athlete. I throw that at at him. I try to gather feedback as soon as I possibly can. And just make small changes throughout and just see what happens, hoping that I'm doing the right thing. So this to me in a nutshell, I suppose, is individualization because everything unfolds differently with each athlete I work with. And it's not necessarily something I plan to do. I mean, I have got nothing against repeating that exact same program twice with different athletes in case that is what would happen. But it never does. It always takes different turns with every athlete. And they all have different needs, different preferences, and so on and so forth. So I try to accommodate all of that as much as I can. And I'm just married to no one approach. But just, uh, yeah, just start something, just see what happens. Immediately change if I see, if I feel there's a need to change something and just uh, keep doing that. I think there's a myth, uh, in, you know, in coaching circles that, you know, you, you, you take the athlete, you test him, and then you immediately individualize. I think that's, you know... Uh, complete bullshit because possible yeah, yeah. Possible. i mean you, you test them you see oh maybe i should do this or that i think the better way is to use the best practice in quotation mark and that could be again also every i think it has two components one is a traditional stuff like th this is what we've been doing all 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 time 
And it also has this component of the evidence-based stuff that we spoke in a few episodes. Uh, and then you throw that at the athlete. So it's, it's called, it, it creates the uh, um, minimum viable program. And then things will, will you know, manifest itself as you do the training. So um, a few days ago, I was, you know, actually funny thing is that I, I hired my friend to coach me. So because I'm too lazy to coach myself mm. and... And, Another feeling. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he was coaching a basketball athlete, and he gave him, um, you know, step up jumps with, you know, high high knee up. So you know, you use your arms and you use a, the swing leg to to you know reach higher heights from a step up. And he saw that he's completely uncoordinated. It's like you know he struggled to use a swing leg. He's a he's a center center player, and he usually jumps with both feet. So he immediately showed that you know this is the exercise he probably needs to be doing. So it's like a uh, the law of the minimum. So finding the the the, the worst stuff you can improve uh, easiest. And in this case, that's that's his plyometric exercise. So he needs to improve his you know coordination, whatever it is, by performing that exercise. So by throwing things at, at athletes, you discover things. So yeah. things manifest itself, and it's it's a constant thing. It's not. One, yeah, exactly. Once upon a time, you know, it you, takes time. It takes time. I, 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 I used to use two analogies. I use the hydra analogy. You cut one head, and immediately two pops up. So mm-hmm. you, you, you sort one thing, and there's an, another few things that show up. And and Pokemon's, you know, catch them if you can. So you do need to, uh, you do need to perform. You do need to start with something, and then things will manifest itself. And then you, you know, try to, uh, I would say, try to suit them with your. Uh, programming or planning yeah 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 and they manifest themselves in unpredictable ways and then injuries appear and all these things so i mean again we i think we we mentioned that in the past uh, at least I, I think we did that at least i'm not against planning not at all i plan all the time but just the the, the degree of details in a plan uh the, the way i have it is just very minimal i don't go into uh into uh uh, precise details of the plan because it just never ends up working. I mean, I have tried that many years ago and just things, just the smallest things will just throw everything off and I just get confused and I just put too much faith in an external program that is supposed to offer the solutions. But as, as I've gained experience working with different athletes and different needs and different environments, it just, I noticed that it wouldn't work the way I wanted to. And then not to mention that I would start reading more about how individuals respond from a research perspective and you just see all this variability all over the place all over the place when people uh, are uh, are just doing the exact same training programs so like how can how can that work when you put the two together I just started letting things be a bit looser as and more and more and in fact as little as I possibly can at a starting point and of course uh, as you say as, as time goes by you learn you adapt you change you modify, and this is just a program. So, I mean, in retrospect, once things are done, I can explain it to you and it probably sound detailed, but I couldn't plan it to begin with. That, that, that I think, is a main difference. I can explain it retrospectively, what made me choose the way, uh, w- w- the way I, ha- I have, but prospectively, I can't do that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's what's happening with, with myself as well. Um, besides, besides external... Uh, stuff like uh, changes in competition dates, you know, changes in uh, missing athletes and so forth. So, you know, I ended up developing this agile periodization thing that that's pretty much uh, 
taking into account uncertainty in biology and also uncertainty in in uh, logistics the day-to-day and, environment yeah, yeah exactly. day-to-day environment so uh yeah one th- one thing I, I wanted to also talk about is the um individualization in team sports um okay. and so we might have this idea of the uh you individualize based on the biology but sometimes you also individualize based on i would say individualized but you adapt based on uh, uh, logistics. Not sure if that makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to give the right example. I probably got a, a mental hurdle again. So, <laughs> um, um, oh man, it's, this it's tends tricky. to happen to people who are not English speakers. I don't know if you go through the same thing, but it's not my native tongue. And then some days my English is fluent, and I listen to myself talk. And then I was like, oh wow, look at your English. And then some days, for no reason that I can put my finger on. It just all goes to shit, and I can barely speak, and I don't know why. I've never been able to understand that. No, it's it's not English. It's it's the concept that I'm trying to to sort out in my head, um, because I try to sort out the the concept as I speak, and sometimes I get this mental hurdle. I need to take a break and think about it. So sometimes I say something that's not really that I didn't spend time thinking about myself. So. Right. So anyway, the the thing with with uh, uh, training in in team sports and probably in, in combat sport is that uh, f- for certain training sessions, like you know playing soccer, you do need other people. So you cannot just you know separate individuals and train them individually. You do need them together to 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 train for uh, you know interaction rather than individual action. So it's really hard to kind of individualize. Uh, you, you they do need to play 10v10 or you know 5v5 and you need other people so once they you put them in the group you know it's really hard to kind of individualize uh, so same thing with with combat sports you know you, you cannot just train athlete you know boxing against a you know heavy bag you do need other uh, athletes other opponents and in that case the individual individualization is a bit trickier so uh, and and I wouldn't say it's it's needed most of the time. Like you know, how 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 would you individualize? You know, let, let's say we have a five v five, and we decide that the team um, should play that for say you know four sets of five or you know four sets of six minutes, and you know it, it's not gonna suit everyone. So even you have a. a intra-individual variability so on a given day some athletes a given athlete might run more and might run less in in another day uh, because of the uh, tactical um, stuff happening in the game so you might be uh, you might be needed to you know put extra you know volume of running whatever so how do you individualize based on that you know you can track with the gps you can take this guy out if, if he reached certain threshold or you can keep them uh, after the session to you know accumulate extra miles or whatever but it's always based on a certain metrics that you use as a proxy to individualize and it could be like thousands of those metrics like what if he didn't have uh, enough of passes what if he have uh, a lot of kicks and it's really really it's really bloody hard to individualize in, in team sports so uh, to be honest I'm not sure that it's 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 doable at least in most of the uh sessions for you know for example strength training it's much much easier because it's uh 
it's you know individual they you know they get their volume and all this stuff but you know for for soccer or any team sport activity it's 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 different so it, for example in, in combat sports you might say okay we're going to individualize number of hits in the head so uh you know let's say th- this is a hypothetical you you get 100 hits in the head in a match and you know in a sparring we we're probably going to aim for 95 hits in the head to 100 105 hits in the head so you you create a, a sparring match and most of the time it's going to suit one athlete and other athletes will not reach their metrics like or those metrics could be standardized as we mentioned before or they could be individualized you know based on a percent of you know what happened in a match so you're always going to have someone uh being uh under individualized if that makes sense so that's one of the i would say that's the that's the rationale behind uh, the agenda behind that picture of the legs cut off because you try to individualize everyone and you're probably going to end up cutting legs to to few athletes you see when i uh just again just from a combat sports point of view so when i when i and you in fact even joined one of the classes i think that i taught in australia but what what i tend to do is just uh let's say there's a sparring part um in a given day in a given training day so rather than just spar randomly i'll just ask and it'll just take me a second right each of the athletes to focus on one particular thing. So one guy should focus on moving, the other guy should focus. So I would try to individualize, pr- provide them with individual uh, task. cu- yeah. tasks that they would have to try to fulfill within the given overall task. And in that regard, they are receiving some individualized um, cues. Uh, but saying that, God knows how that interacts with the other person who is also trying to do a different thing and is focused. So that itself might make it a bit less realistic or a bit more um, constrained because everybody's looking to do one particular thing. So it just kind of takes away from the from the sparring just being a bit more organic. But I find that to be a very uh, effective tool that allows you still to do a, a group session, so to speak, but with individual components uh, in it. So what about... Uh... Here's another problem we have in, in team sports is, is uh, jumping bandwagons. So you probably notice there are certain qualities that needs to be, I would say, addressed with a given fighter. And he shows those uh, flaws, let's call it flaws or strengths, uh, on, on, on a consistent basis. But then from, you know, from sparring to sparring or, or, or fight to fight, he shows certain other flaws and then you might say okay uh, option a is to stick to mm-hmm. a longer term plan so you know fixing what's being consistent consistently uh, manifested or you know jumping bandwagons to to things that are being manifested on latest sparring or latest session or latest fight and uh, i i think it's a it's again a fine balance because um in, in in team sports, we we tend to, um, and, and I I would say this this also manifests itself on multiple scales. So for example, um, in team sports, we might we might uh, address our defense defense to upcoming opponent, but then we let our offense to be you know our own thing. So we we let the offense being you know what we usually do. And defense, we adapt to upcoming opponents. So it's it's never 
black or white. Uh, and I know some some coaches, you know, they stick to a long term team. Uh, let's call it team thematic stuff. Like they they try to address um, certain qu- identified lagging qualities over a longer period of time. Just you know, setting up the style of play and and things like that. Where some coaches they kind of tend to jump, you know, bandwagons from last game. So for example, you know, in last game we showed that we lack uh, ability to attack through a middle. So you know. Next week we're gonna, you know, practice attacking through a middle, and then on a on the next next game we we suck at you know uh, free kicks, so we're gonna practice free kicks and and so forth. So it's like a, it's like really, uh, I, I would say like a, a a training without any team. So it's really it's really agile, but it doesn't have a long term team. And I think again, it's a it's a trying to find a fine balance between, you know, I would say w- what's being shown at, as the latest lack of quality and you know something that's you know longer bigger picture yeah and and the thing is this that once you trim the the extreme point of views based on every little mistake if you change everything at once or alternatively you just stick to a plan irrespective of what unfolds because you decided that you're going to do something for three months both to me are uh don't make sense i mean i I, but but you know what i'll actually um Say, say it a bit differently. I mean, I could, if a coach explains their rationale and accepts the, that, that there's a calculated risk, but based on his background knowledge and, and how he understands the athlete and the system, that according to, when he calculates and puts into consideration everything, every parameter of knowledge that he has access to, and this still makes sense to the coach, then I'm fine with that. I How can I challenge him based on what, you know? It just, uh, it, it it probably depends on the athlete, depends on the quality that is uh, that you want to change, and so many other factors. So it probably lies somewhere in between the two extremes. And even at times, you can just stick to one of the extremes if that makes sense to you based on whatever knowledge you have access to and you can logically justify your decision, I think. Yeah, it's all. It's always a... There's no clear-cut answers. It's like there's never clear-cut answers. Yeah, it's That's uh, you know, it's as we mentioned in I think it, it was second or third episode about the evidence-based stuff. Yeah, you do need to consider uh, multiple sources of information. Exactly. Yeah, you yeah. have to. Yeah, especially man, especially if you're working with uh, elite athletes, the information out there is very limited. And if if somebody wants to tell me that they can base their whole practice just based on just sticking to what the um, research outputs is uh, to direct either every decision, then I wouldn't know how they do it. And I'm saying that as a scientist who's being who, pub- who actively publishes a fair bit, um, and that definitely guides me and assists me and gives me ideas. But it can never substitute what I actually do day to day and the experience that I gather. It's not to say I mean, and you, I I do put the value of experience in a very uh, I, I judge my experience very carefully, but I also don't go all the way, as some do, I think. It's like, oh, it's just uh, all too biased. I can't trust what I see. No, I can't go that far because I do got to trust what I do and what I see as long as I'm sensible and able to change my mind and well aware of how biased I am, just being human and how uh, my brain tricks me. But once I acknowledge all of that, I can't just throw away all of my experience as if it doesn't count for anything because it does and uh as much as i wish is that that we had perfect scientific outputs 
that can uh, direct me in every move that I take. It's just not the case. So yeah, we got to account for many different sources of information. And even collectively, they can only bring us towards a sensible solution, but never a perfect one. And we don't even know what a perfect is or what optimal. So we can only just try to search for the keys in, the, in a very dark room and hopefully that we can find them. So that's, that's why I like the idea by... Um, I always, always keep forgetting his name. <laughs> Herbert Simon uh, on, on satisfying. You know, rather than trying to find the optimal solution, try to good enough and you know, iterate. See what happens. Is that from... Uh, so I, I'm not familiar with the name. So I think, I th- yeah, I think it's Herbert Simon. Let me just Google it quickly. Because uh, I usually remember the, these names you tell me. So yeah, Herbert Simon was, uh, uh, I think he got like a, a Nobel Prize. So uh, let's see. Was an American economist and political scientist whose primary interest was decision-making within organization and is best known for the theories of bounded rationality and satisfying. So yeah, he's he's apparently the father of artificial intelligence as well. So, so which book is that by him that you that you recommend? Uh, there's a good book by him, autobiography called "The Models of My Life," but I haven't read it. Mm, I heard the good good stuff about it. But he influenced a lot of people, and uh, you know, down the road, the the Gergi Garenzer is following his. I would say, I see. Uh, right. his Looks stuff. So, so. so yeah. So anyway, without going too much into philosophy and you know abstract thinking, uh, let's wrap this episode with with few examples, you know, real life examples. Uh, and I, okay. I would love to hear your, um, you know, real life example. How would, for example, how would you, uh, you, you get few, or you start working with a new group of fighters, and let's assume they can train multiple times a week at the same time, and you know they 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 you know the schedule is pretty much same for everyone. How do you say, how do you individualize or how do you take into account the individual differences in setting up the skill sessions, the, uh, I would say, the content of the skill sessions and how would you set up and how would you take into account individual differences again and how would you figure out the individual differences in the first place, uh, especially when it comes to physical preparation? Like I, I, I would love to hear like uh, from practice stories. Yeah, well, that's it's going to be a long one. So maybe I'll try to narrow it down if you don't mind. So you're more interested in the group uh, uh, approach or the individual approach? For, for example, if I work with an individual athlete, which is... So I, I would say, how would you individualize within the group? Okay, so first, if I start working with a group, which happened a few times, um, I wouldn't individualize to begin with because I wouldn't know what to individualize based on. So I'd have to see them. So initially, I'll just start off with uh, with my best guess of what a good session consists of. And that is just based on background knowledge, um, understanding of the sport. And I should also add that I've been heavily influenced by, by the skill acquisition and the motor learning research in, in this regard. So I would just structure a session that usually, if it's a, a competitive athletes, that lasts anywhere between an hour and a half to two hours, that would have various components. Uh, sometimes it wouldn't even have... a quote-unquote, a strength and conditioning component, just skill. Um, and then as I would observe them during their uh, different segments of a session that would emphasize, uh, typically emphasize different qualities within a given session, I'll start patterns would start to emerge. I'll start to see holes. Okay, this guy 
usually is, is for example, this guy's just not fit. He just gasses out very quickly. So we need to work on that. He want, he's got a, a fight in, in three months. And he's just going to gas out, even though he's very technical. So we just need to, to uh, start focusing more on that within the same session. Uh, some other guy, he keeps dropping his hand. His, his boxing is not good. So we got to emphasize that. And then I just try to see how patterns emerge during a given session. And then I wouldn't necessarily, I can't change a whole session based on individuals. Mm. So I would just try within within the class, I would just provide them with different uh, goals. So everybody would do the same thing. If we're working the bag, everybody would be working the bag. But I would provide different cues to each individual that they should try to focus on. So in that regard, we do try, eventually get to a point that everybody is doing the same thing, but also it is somewhat individualized. Um, and then also they do some things on their own. So some uh, I'll emphasize more uh, cardiovascular stuff just to try to get them fitter for a fight. Others I try to get them stronger because I feel there's not enough uh, power be- behind their punch and kicks. So we try to perhaps use some uh, traditional SNC squats, deadlifts, things like that. That would happen. Others are not explosive enough. So within their uh, non-specific sessions, we would work a lot with bands and medicine balls and kettlebells and sprints. So, yeah, somehow they all do the same thing. They all go through the same session. They even do the SNC uh, uh, units usually together. But then with the SNC sessions, they usually just have different, uh, different, um, yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? Exercises just different goals, or- exercises and focuses. So yeah, that's that's how it looked like. So yeah, the the skill session would look roughly the same in terms of structure. Within it, there's going to be differences that are just going to continuously grow as I get to know the athletes and their individualized needs. And then there's also the non the SNC aspect that is also uh, mainly a function of what I feel they need more. And uh, and they might have very different programs. I should note that as well. Some, as I said, would just do heavy deadlifts. Others would just uh, work mainly with the medicine ball, sprints, throws, just because. And I base that off my eyes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't have any tests. I think. I mean, that's... I do them. I do the tests because for a number of reasons. Because first, uh, they like it, and we can monitor progress, some type of progress. But to this day, I'm not even sure what these tests tell me. I, I just don't. I, there could I, be some correlations. I've tried to run a few. I didn't find anything. It didn't predict performance. Again, there's so many uh, variables involved. I do monitor, but to, if, if I'll be completely honest, I don't know what these tests tell me, and I'll be perfectly fine without them as well. Like, if I spoke to you, like, maybe 10 years ago, I would say, like, you're f- full of shit <laughs> because, yeah. because you're not testing, you're not objective, in quotation mark. But uh, nowadays, I'm, like, completely on your side to be honest and i know that you know you open the first you open any snc book you open any periodization book it suggests doing a, a needs analysis so you you test the athletes uh usually it's really snc dominated type of tests uh yeah. w- without insights in the qualities needed for a for a particular sport like from a skill perspective it's it's more like how much you can bench press, how much you can squat. You know, are you hitting two times body weight, and you know, what's the vertical jump, what's the bro jump, and all this stuff. And then you create program based of, on on that, which I think it's a useful training tool for someone starting as SNC. But then you know, you, you know, I, I don't believe that you start with a test. Uh, no, nowadays, I believe in embedded testing. You you know, you you test as you go. 
So yeah. ra- rather than having like a designated testing day or designated testing battery, you you, you watch, you 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 know again you throw the minimum viable pro- product. Again, in a, in a strength training, probably going to involve doing the basics, you know, the push, pull, squat, hinge, and all this stuff. Rotate, throw, you know, some uh, ballistics lifts. So w- once you have this stuff, you you just observe and see what what manifests itself, what what emerges, and then you can you can probably you know do some tests, you know, just collect the numbers, you know. You don't need to test a back squat, you know. You can uh, one of the I would say one of the approaches I kind of kind of develop over the last few years is using um again i call it iterative 1rm assessment or you just guess 1rm you know you can use body weight and then you if you need to prescribe you know using a percent based approach you prescribe and then they do a maybe a, a few ex few workouts and then you you decide if if the 1rm you use to prescribe needs to be adjusted so you adjust and over time they're going to converge to 1RM, you know, without actually being tested for 1RM. So I'm not, I'm not against testing. I'm just trying to embed testing as much as possible in the, in the training process itself, rather than being, you know, you know, separated and, and, and done on a designated, uh, days. And especially, you know, in soccer, this is quite common, you know, the, the, the day, day one of the preseason, it's usually some type of, uh, testing. So usually do like, a a vertical jump test or you you do a yo-yo test and then and, you know all this stuff which uh and it's like a pretty much day one and it's usually a really really heavy especially for athletes coming off a long layover or long off season where they didn't do jack shit so and it's you know the, the question is how do you use those numbers and actually do you need yeah. to use those numbers to to create training sessions and sometimes yeah. you, you can assume things you 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 assume uh, and then you know you adjust things as you go. It's not perfect, but you know it's it's good enough to exactly. It's start. good enough, and it's realistic too. It's realistic because again, I I don't know, and and I may be wrong, right? But I've I've tried working with the numbers. I try letting them influence what I do. But if I when once I was completely honest with myself, I didn't see how the testing, at least the S and C portions of it, uh, were truly helping me. I just didn't see it. I mean, I, to me, what, what we do in the training was it served as a test as well. It wasn't like there's two completely different, uh, independent of each other. I mean, they, they train hard during the session. So why couldn't that serve as some sort of a test? Yes, it's not as extreme as coming to a, a one day and just do a few lifts. You're probably going to be more motivated and push yourself harder. But being more accurate within the, I don't know, a 10% range. Is that really going to influence everything? You know what I mean? I just I just didn't see it. And I should I always want to emphasize that I, I acknowledge my uh, limitations. I worked on, with individual sports and combat. What I'm saying may be completely, would make absolutely no sense if you're working with a, a sprinter or a jumper because th- then the, it's a different animal. And I don't know uh, how that will work there. I can just speak with my own experience working with combat athletes. That the amount of variability involved is just insane. I think there's variability involved there as well, as well but not in that amount, especially yeah. compared to team sports. But it's it's quite similar, you know. If you know, you never know if um, you you have world class sprinters that have done zero lifting, and yeah. you have world class sprinters who did a lot of lifting. 
Yeah, and these in, black swans matter. Yeah, and, and you need to figure out. Matter. Yeah, you need to figure out what works for one individual, and you know, and um, to to be honest, you know, you have uh, camps or, or coaches who believe in one thing, and they attract athletes who do believe in the same thing. Exactly. And then it's a, some sort of a placebo that's involved as well. Yeah, exactly. And you can say, oh, this is my system. This is how I do things. And, you know, it's it's not a random sample of athletes, if that makes sense. So it, it yeah, yeah, introduces yeah. confounding. So the athletes who believe in the same thing stay in that program yeah. and they're actually attracted to that program. Exactly. So it's, as with everything, it's it's really, really tricky to make any causal claims what works so i think that accepting our biases accepting the uncertainties and you know and i i think that's a right that's a step forward rather than believing in you know predictability of the outcomes and you know blindly following uh one training i would say philosophy so i think we are both agnostic to yeah any, that's the term. any type of um you know training system but, you know, I do want to add one more little story here because it's important for me to also talk about my failures as well. The system, if you can call it that, that I mentioned, how I work with the athletes, doesn't always work. Doesn't always work. And I have, I remember about two, I don't even remember, it was two or th- maybe three years ago, I worked with a very high caliber athlete, a kickboxer, one of the, I would say he's probably top 15 in the world right now. And, uh, and I identified with the same way I always do, just knowing him, talking to him, talking to his coach, training him, throwing things at him and seeing what happens, I identified what I perceived to be a problem. And um, and we try to target that. And every session, he, he would hate it. And then to myself, I was like, yeah, he's hating it because that's where he's weak. And we kept doing that for a few sessions. And then over time, he would come in and he wouldn't be motivated. And, it, and then I thought to myself, man, I was so dumb because he wasn't enjoying it. And then... He wouldn't, yeah, then uh, our rela- it also affected our relationship somewhat. And then looking back, after a while that it happened, I just I just found myself asking, what am I doing? What am I, stupid? Yes, it's a, but then, you know, he asked yourself, what is a big weakness within someone who reached such a high level? And I kept pushing, I kept exposing him to that weakness. And I thought that perhaps physiologically I was doing something right with him, and perhaps I was. But one thing for sure I wasn't doing him any service psychologically by repeatedly doing that. And that was a huge, a very important lesson for me because by then I've already had a lot of experience working with such athletes. And it's just because I don't have a very precise system and I let things happen, uh, this would be an example of th- that I failed. And I, I still even work with him to this day on and off because I'm not always in the same country. But when I am in Israel, I do, I do work with him. Uh, so it's not a... A strategy because I was able to find myself and then uh, realize that I made a mistake and I've changed it so yeah it's just just to, to be fair and honest with the listeners I admit I'll happily admit I make so many mistakes and this is just an example of one of them so this is not bulletproof I think that that also uh, brings up another in- interesting topic is that uh, you can individualize, I would say individualized or create objectives based on, on weaknesses and also strengths. And there should be a fine balance between, between the two. So, uh, I, I would say just because you fix weaknesses doesn't mean you're going to improve performance. A hundred percent. And I learned that the hard way. 
And it's, I, again, I, I, that's why I call them, uh, catch them if you can, you know, Pokemons. It's, like, it's really hard to figure out the qualities. Like, first of all, you don't know. We have this, as I, as I call it, a hum, Hume's gap. So between is and ought. Just because you identify a, a certain lagging quality, will improving that quality bridge the gap between, you know, is and ought? So in, in, in plain English, if you improve that lagging quality, will the performance improve? And you don't know that in advance. Yeah. And it can have a lot of other issues, like you mentioned, like uh, psychological. And for example, in soccer, uh, I, I, give, I gave a few talks on planning microcycle. Um, and one of the, uh, I call them a, co a uh, complementary pair or complementary aspects is managing in individual and team and managing uh, weaknesses and strengths. So, for example, as you approach the next game, you're focusing less on weaknesses and focusing more on strengths of the team. So you're not going to pinpoint to a weaknesses of a team. You're trying to build up the confidence of the team in, in, in doing what they are doing the best so they can, you know, get into another game, you know, with a high, high confidence rather than yeah. this is what we're doing bad and, you know, we are fixing it and it doesn't work and, and we are fixing it and it's like a day before a game, you're fucking fixing things that doesn't work. So <laughs> from physiological standpoint and from, you know, motor learning might be worthwhile, but from psychological one, it, it could be decreasing the performance by, by affecting the confidence of the team. So it's, it's always tricky. And um, again, I think we need to uh, embrace our ignorance and, you know, try to do best things in, in uncertainties and... Yeah. That I, again, that's 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 why we started these these chats to with the topic of you know what what should we do you know decision making in uncertainty and you know what are the best strategies when we don't know what the hell are we doing and how that's gonna work in the future. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this episode is going already around fifty something minutes without yeah. uh, without extending it too much. We can always come back to to this uh, topic of individualization, and we're probably gonna. Uh, we're gonna probably come back to it in in, in some sure future episodes once we we hear feedback from the listeners and and so forth. Maybe some stuff we they want to listen us talking about, or maybe we didn't cover. So you know, please be free to to shoot us a, a message or tweet or email or whatever. So anyway, All right, uh, good talking to you, Maladen. We'll keep this up soon. It was an excellent episode, and I hope the listeners get something out of it. Thanks, Israel, and looking forward to talking to you soon.